0: Hello and welcome y'all, you're listening to Southern Reverend, a podcast from a pastor in Georgia about the Christian faith, work in ministry, and life in the South. I'm your host, Joel Mooneyhan. Whoever you are and wherever this finds you, I hope that you enjoy listening and that you find something meaningful to take with you. We are in the sixth week of the tide season, and this week we're going to take a look at what Jesus taught us about our enemies and how his life, death, and resurrection bear witness to what he taught. There's a lot to cover and a lot to take away, I hope. And so without further ado, here we go. The heart of the Christian story is a man who, at every conceivable turn, acted and spoke and taught in ways that no one had before and none have since without quoting him directly or at least referencing his name. The Jesus of Scripture is an enigma. He was effectively a country rube, a tradesman. People from Georgia, especially close to or in Atlanta, often make a distinction between life inside and outside Interstate 285. That's the bypass highway that circles Atlanta proper, affectionately called the perimeter. Inside the perimeter is the city, the buildings, the convergence of the three major interstates that run through Georgia, the hustle and bustle of urban life. Outside the perimeter, the further you go, the more suburban and then rural it becomes until you are decidedly in the country. Whether it's the mountains of North Georgia, the rolling hills of East Georgia, The wide open farmland you find in South Georgia, or to the West, you're basically in East Alabama. Thus, if you're ever in Atlanta and you hear someone talk about ITP and OTP, that means inside the perimeter and outside the perimeter, and you'll find a little bit of a rivalry between the two. But if Jesus were here today, he would definitely have been from way, way OTP. And yet, for all of his country boy, rural sensibilities, Jesus knew the scripture at a subterranean level, with far greater depth than the religious elite of his day. Jesus had no army, no public office, no official title, and yet he commanded the loyalty of unnumbered men and women who came from a cross-section of society that broke every imaginable cultural barrier of his day. Fishermen mixed with religious council leaders, tax collectors mixed with wage earners, Jewish zealots mixed with Roman soldiers. Prostitutes, widows, the diseased and the afflicted, the marginalized and the abused, mixed with the well-to-do, the wealthy, the powerful, and the elite. Even within his closest twelve disciples, it was a social and political mixed bag. I often imagine that the first time the twelve disciples met together in person at the same place, at least a few of them must have looked at a few of the others and thought, Why did Jesus invite those people? Jesus never let anyone off the hook for their responsibilities to their faith and their adherence to Scripture, and yet He always treated people with dignity, and He never left a person who is in need without a sense of hope, without knowing that they were loved, cared for, and noticed by God. And underneath all of it, He taught a way of forbearance with others that, even now, leaves people stunned and frustrated and amazed. And that, today, is the burden of my song. Love your enemy, Jesus said. It's so often repeated that we rarely stop to consider what it actually means, but say it to yourself. Love your enemy. Say it again, but this time say it while you actually think of an enemy. And you know you have at least one. I know I do. Someone you don't get along with, an aggravating co-worker, a fallen away friend, a burdensome family member. Someone of a different political stripe who you think is a fool, an elected official you can't stand. Someone who hurts you. Or maybe it's even yourself. Love your enemy. Jesus offers no equivocation with this statement. He just throws it out there like some sort of brash and naive firebrand. And we can say we like the sentiment all we want. But if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably something that we wish Jesus hadn't said. But the obstinate heart of Jesus' teaching beats with the knowledge that all people are created in the image of God, and therefore all have worth, all have dignity, even, as it turns out, our enemies. And that isn't the only thing that Jesus says like this. One of his most famous teachings is what everybody now knows as the golden rule. Say it with me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. On the surface, this is well and good enough, but it's actually much deeper than it appears. You see, what Jesus is doing is actually taking a common philosophical notion in his day and inverting it. At the time, the going wisdom with relationships was don't do unto others what you wouldn't have done unto you. And there's a thin line that separates the two. But the problem in the latter is that it's a low-effort way of behaving and it makes no comment on the value of other people. It's easy to avoid doing something malicious, to not act out of spite or vengeance. I say easy because in comparison to what Jesus teaches, almost anything would be. To do unto others as you would have them do unto you requires action, not avoidance. For example, I can fairly easily refrain from acting violently in retaliation to somebody who burns my temper to the end of the fuse by being rude or unkind or even cruel. I can refrain from it because I wouldn't want them to respond violently to me. It's passive, avoidant, and easy, and it says nothing of the value of either my enemy or myself. Infinitely harder is to respond to unkind people with kindness, to treat unfair people with mercy, to act with grace to someone who's antagonistic, to actually make a concerted effort to treat someone well who's treated me poorly. And to do so inherently acknowledges that even my enemy deserves to be treated with respect, because even my enemy is a child of God. And I would want my enemy to see me the same way. Jesus would later take another common fact of life and likewise subvert it. In chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says that if someone sues you for your tunic, you should give them your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Let's zoom in on that last part. In Jesus' day, there was a common practice that a Roman soldier, the occupying army in Jesus' homeland, remember, could, by law, require a subject to carry his gear 1,000 paces just whenever they felt like it. It was a law. It had to be obeyed lest the person who disobeyed it suffer very serious consequences. So what Jesus does with this is quite groundbreaking, and his audience would likely have scoffed in disbelief. Instead of going 1,000 paces, Jesus says, go 2,000 paces. But why? Well, because when you go 1,000 paces, you're doing so because the law requires you to. But when you take the very next step, you're acting of your own volition. To choose to go even one step further robs the required act of its original power to abuse, and it does so retroactively, because it makes the entire thing your own choice rather than somebody else's requirement. To look at a person who's forcing you to carry a burden and then go further than is required is not an act of obedience. It is an act of service. It is an act of sacrifice. It says to the person, I refuse to be your enemy. Luke chapter 10 records the parable of the Good Samaritan. Likely you all know it, or have at least heard the phrase, but a quick recap. In this parable, a man is walking to Jerusalem, and he's set upon by robbers who beat him, strip him of his clothing and belongings, and then leave him for dead. And while he's lying there helpless, both a priest, a holy man of Israel, and a Levite, a member of the tribe of Levi who traditionally assisted priests in worship, pass him by, even going so far as to walk on the other side of the road to avoid him. A Samaritan walks by and takes compassion on the man, tending to his wounds and bringing him to an inn where he leaves him in the care of the innkeeper. And before he leaves, he tells the innkeeper that if any further expenses are added, he will pay them on his way back through town. Let's stop here for just a second. There is a whole textbook worth of historical and cultural background on the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. Far too much to get into right now. But suffice it to say, they hated each other. Jews did not look favorably on Samaritans and condescended to them in matters of culture and especially expressions of their common faith heritage. The detail of their hatred for each other is important. If you're of a particularly liberal bent, this would be like Jesus saying the Samaritan wore a certain type of red hat. If you're particularly conservative, Jesus might have said the Samaritan drove up in a car with a rainbow sticker on it. Jesus intentionally paints a picture of a man who is a stand-in for the audience, who is beaten, robbed, and left for dead, and then avoided by the very people one would expect would be helpful. And then comes the Samaritan, a stand-in for the audience's prejudices, a person who would immediately be identified as someone to hate. And it is this person who comes to the rescue, who risks his life, his safety, who puts his plans on hold, goes out of his way, and even incurs a debt to help a person in need. The hero of the story is the enemy. It's easy to look at these teachings and think, big deal, this is just some abstract philosophizing of an itinerant Jewish carpenter some 2,000 years ago. What does he know about injustice today? What does he know about what I have endured? And if I may, I'd like to speak to that. Because Jesus does know a thing or two about injustice from his own personal experience. Jesus was set up by a group of men who felt threatened by the influence of his teaching. He was arrested on trumped-up charges, his words were misconstrued as evidence against him, and even the Roman governor who presided over the case found no fault in him, and he was only compelled to order his execution out of political expedience. This was truly a miscarriage of justice. Jesus was executed by crucifixion, a particularly cruel, painful and tortuous death. And on his cross, hanging by the bones of his wrists and ankles, struggling to breathe, he prays, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Even at his death, surrounded by the very people who conspired to kill him, mocked in his absolute most vulnerable moment, prays for their forgiveness. Even then, when any of us might rail at the injustice and scream curses upon the people who victimize us, Jesus refuses to be their enemy. During Easter, we reflect on Jesus' resurrection, His defeat of death, and the restoration that that brings to us. But we must also remember that if we are to honor a risen Savior, we must also honor what He taught and how He lived. Jesus' life bears witness to the dignity in each of us and invites us to see it in others, no matter who they are, no matter what we think of them, and no matter what they have done to us. Jesus' death bears witness to his willingness to forgive even those who sought to destroy him and challenges us to do the same. And Jesus' resurrection bears witness to his power to restore the brokenness of a world divided on so many grounds, a world insistent on drawing lines in the sand and seeing everything as us versus them. It calls us to live in the light of a kingdom in which we are all citizens. And in a kingdom where we're all citizens, there can be no enemies. thank y'all for listening to this episode of Southern Reverend. I've been your host, Joel Mooneyhan. If you want to hear more from me, including the other episodes in the Eastertide series, and also some of my written musings, you can find me on the web at www.southernreverend.com, on Instagram at the handle Southern Reverend, and on Facebook.com slash Southern Reverend. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please take a moment and share it with anyone who you think might find it meaningful as well. You we have no idea how much I'd appreciate that. Thank y'all again for listening and come back next week for the final episode of Easter Tide. We're gonna be taking a look at the book of Revelation, but not in the way that you might think. Until then, y'all have a great week. Take care and be good to one another. And I'll get